Welcome, friends and listeners, to Radio Maria Australia. Our smart, loving conversation today is about talking with your children about the facts of life. So just a quick warning to those who are listening, perhaps with young children around, that you might want to postpone listening to this to a time when you can listen to it without interruptions or without worrying about what they might be interpreting. We're going to be getting into some really great stuff, but probably not the best conversation for young listeners to be hearing at this stage. But I'd like to introduce our guest now. I'm joined today by Sister in Christ and colleague Karen Doyle. Karen, with her husband Jonathan, are the founders of Choices Media. It's a sexuality education company that's produced numerous products and resources that is widely used throughout Australia and indeed overseas and particularly in the United States. She is also an author. She's the author of The Genius of Womanhood and also of The Things Are Changing Puberty Education Resource. She's a speaker, a podcaster, co-founder of the Sisterhood National Catholic Women's Movement, and most recently she's established The Genius Project, which offers a masterclass for Catholic women seeking to fulfil the potential in the world. Karen has a background in nursing and postgraduate studies from the JP2 Institute for Marriage and Family. But most importantly, she is a wife of 22 years and a mother of three. Karen, what have I missed? And welcome to you. Oh, look, thank you so much, Francine. It's so lovely to be joining you on this podcast and for this topic. And I don't think you've missed anything. <laughs> it was a great introduction. Um, Jonathan and yeah. I do speak a lot around the world. And, and I remember many years ago, we were actually in um, the Philippines giving a keynote on life and love. And this lady was really excited to be introducing us. And she got up and she said, Jonathan and Karen are Australia's foremost educators in sex. And they make their own DVDs. <laughs> and we were both standing to the side going, oh, my goodness, that will go down as the most interesting oh. introduction we've ever had. <laughs> so that was a great intro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just helps you grow in humility, just just when you're it feeling sure like at top of your game and um, you get a blooper <laughs> like that that you can never uh, really get past. No, it's, that's um, right. You've, you've both packed a lot into your life and your productivity is truly inspirational. And so we just thank you. We know that it comes with often a great deal of sacrifice. So I just want to thank you for what you and Jonathan have accomplished in your service to the church and to the mission, mission of the Lord. So thank you very much. And thank particularly you. on this topic, um, it's becoming more and more so important for parents to be well equipped to be able to form their children well. But before we get into that, um, we have a, a little tradition here on this on podcast, Karen, where we just share a little bit about our faith walk. So for me, I'll, maybe I'll kickstart and then you can you can share where you are. I've been in the last couple of months just trying to get a little more rhythm into my prayer life. So I've started saying the evening prayer using the Universalis app, which is just a really lovely way. I, when I get into bed um, and before I really just power down, I just open up the Universalis app to the evening prayer. And it has at the end the Salve Regina or Mary Queen of Heaven. And you've got, there's an option to play an audio um, chant recording of some women singing it. And so I usually just pray that um, with the audio. But I found it's like an earworm. I be, I find myself, I'm humming all day long. I don't know if it qualifies as, you know, the, the instruction to pray unceasingly because it's not really in my will, but it, it is, I have this Salve Regina ringing in my ears for days at the moment, which I guess if you're going to have an earworm, as they call it, it's better to have that's one. A that's a good one to have. <laughs> yeah. What about you? Where are you at the moment uh, in your faith walk? I, yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. We were in our sisterhood group last night, just talking about what are the seeds that the Lord is planting or growing in our life at the moment. 
So I think um, I had that reflection last night and I think my answer to your question is the Lord's just really inviting me into a deeper abandonment and trust in him. I think the season of life we find ourselves in at the moment, we have three teenage children and lots of pressures with business and life. And so I think he is just inviting me into this really deep trust Mm. and abandonment to him. And I love the Surrender Novena because there's so much that we think we can control but yeah. there's so much that's truly outside of our control. And and I think yeah. especially when it comes to parenting and, and to marriage and raising children in this culture, that we really need to be walking a life of deep faith in the Lord. So for mm. myself, every day is just coming before the Lord um, with this deep heart of surrender, done imperfectly, of course, but that's sort of um, front of mind for me in this season of my life. Yeah, and that's a great segue into our topic the talk, um, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of parents, <laughs> this is an awkward and intimidating conversation. Um, and if anything, I think it's harder today than it's ever been. Karen, what's different about the setting today to say 10 or 15 years ago when my children were approaching puberty? So we're about 15 years ahead of you guys, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of the parenting cycle. Yes. Um, it was awkward for us, but I think it's probably even harder now. What's different? Oh, absolutely. I think the talk is always awkward. It doesn't matter at what point of life that happens. But I think what we're facing at the moment is we are living through an entirely different landscape to what previous generations had. So when we're talking about having this conversation with our children, it's not just about teaching them about the birds and the bees or the facts of life. It's taking place in front of this unfolding landscape, which is incredibly complex. I would say it's incredibly toxic to forming young people in their sexuality and helping them to have a healthy understanding of the value and purpose of sex, of love, of the human body and human sexuality. So I think there's some really powerful forces at play which are actually seeking to sexualize our children before they're even ready to know about these concepts. And and I think that makes it much harder because children are being exposed to toxic, violent, um, degrading forms of sexuality before parents have even come in to lay those foundations for them. So it's really twisting a young child's understanding of the body of sex, of of Mm. love. I mean, so much of what they're seeing is devoid of love. But I think that we have to firstly understand the landscape that these conversations are now happening within. Mm. And I think that frames then the way in which we move forward and and talk to them. Mm. So I think, yeah. And I guess for parents, I mean, my my sense is, is that I feel almost out of breath trying to keep up with all the nuances and the new Absolutely. developments. It's sort of like, how, I don't know how many genders we're up to, but it was hard enough when there were just two mm-hmm. genders to think about. <laughs> and now it just seems to be multiplying as soon as as parents or now as a grandparent. I feel like hey, I've got a handle on where we're at. It's yes. like there's a whole nother dimension that's been added into the mix. That's um, right. Yes. That, and, and and look, I think one in one word, I mean, I, fundamentally, the one thing that is different and that has shifted this landscape and trajectory is technology. And Mm. I don't think that's been a a positive thing for us as parents when we're trying to raise children with a healthy view of sexuality and the human body. So whether that's through the internet, pornography, social media, technology has fundamentally shifted and changed the world and the world in which our children are growing up in. So 
we often say to parents, if you're not speaking to your children about these topics, then someone or something else will be. And Mm -hmm. we have to understand that the the culture is actually a sex curriculum. So it just, I think parents need to be reminded of the importance to be really intentional about the conversations because what the reality is, even though you think you haven't or they might not have been exposed to these things yet, the reality is they have been. And they have been since they were probably three years of age. They've been picking up and absorbing these images, messages, which are shaping mm. their view. Um, so I think it's actually, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to sort of, as mm. Catholic parents who have this deep desire to instill within our children these values, I think we need to just be really aware of, what's, mm. of the culture that we're living in and the time in history that's unfolding. Actually, it reminds me, Karen, uh, a number of years ago when one of our children, I won't name which one, was in <laughs> high school. And I think Jonathan might have sent me a link about a new television series with a you know, yes. clip of a scene that was particularly toxic in its presentation of a parent having a conversation with a child about sexuality. And it was all very explicit, like the child was young, but this is all about how to be pleasured in sex. So it wasn't just... Mm-hmm. birds and bees it was pretty up there and I'm looking at it thinking oh my gosh what mother would have that kind of conversation with a 13 year old like totally totally inappropriate but this is what's portrayed so then I quizzed my daughter had she seen the series I said yes mum everybody at school's seen it how have you seen it like it's not even available on you know and and she said oh on my laptop the school issued a laptop was now the conduit for them accessing this programming Mm -hmm. in a pirated form that was completely inappropriate and it was just such a a wake up around oh my gosh as parents we can't screen our kids from the exposure Mm. to this like even the school system is incapable of providing effective um filtering on some of these these sort of messages so I mean what would you say to parents like if 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 I come to you which I what would you be saying to me as a parent that I should how should I respond in a situation like that to kind of just get it really practical for our listeners you found out your children have been exposed to something that's way above what their maturity level is is able to cope with what should a parent do in that sort of circumstance do you think yeah, absolutely. I think asking them some questions firstly to get some clarification around what they've seen because I think as parents sometimes if we realise our child's been exposed to something that mama bear or papa bear instinct comes out and it can come across as anger and that the children are in trouble and I think this is actually really important. We want our kids to come and tell us even if they've been exposed or even if they've intentionally sought out some information or images that aren't appropriate We actually want to create a culture where our children come to us and tell us. So the first thing Mm -hmm. I would say is try and keep a lid on your reaction because it's a strong reaction that we have as parents. It taps into our protective instincts. So the first thing I would say is keep a lid on your reaction in front of your child and just ask some probing, clarifying questions to get an idea of how much they've seen, what they've seen, where they've seen it, exactly what you just shared, Mm -hmm. Fran. Mm. And then just asking them and how, they feel how they've understood it. it. Mm, that's right. Because sometimes it goes right over their head. And what we see is uh, we, we might yes. be aware of the sinister messaging behind it, but it might not have connected with them. So, yeah, yeah Mia Culpa, I think I probably have reacted a little bit too um, emotionally sometimes in those situations because as a parent, as you say, 
that protective instinct is really strong. But it's really recalling this present age is calling for very a strong discipline in the parents to be very proactive, intentional, level-headed, and I guess trusting in the Lord, but not that doesn't mean stepping back and doing nothing either. That does mean mm-hmm. being engaged and uh, aware of what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I'd have to say is that I think the world has shifted dramatically in which the traditional family unit, like we're seeing this undermining of the primary role of parents as Mm. first educators of their children. So I would even say to you that I think some schools, not all, but some schools are opening the door and actually exposing children to things that aren't Mm. appropriate as well. So it's not just that kids are accessing them at school, that we actually have decision makers and educators who are opening the door for children to access some really explicit. And I think that's a terrible thing because as Mm. parents, we're we're called to steward our children. Educators are called to steward the children in their care. Um, Recently, one of our children was given a laptop at the school. It um, it wasn't bring your own device. The school issued the laptop and Mm. we wanted to put our filtering software on it and have the password and we were actually told we weren't allowed to do that as parents so uh, needless to say my uh, my mama bear instincts did come out and we have had a, a little confrontation over that because I just said that's fundamentally not acceptable Mm. as as Mm. parents so because the school isn't going to provide that oversight of what your child is accessing on their laptop absolutely not so if they're not putting a filtering system on it and they're not providing that oversight the very least they can do is allow parents to to breach that gap yes and so look I, I really think parents have to understand that they are the best people to be speaking to their children so even though we feel awkward and we might lack confidence we might know what not We might Mm. be unsure of what to say. We are still the best people to be speaking to our children about these these issues. And so I I just really want to encourage parents to dig deep into this conversation today because there's going to be a lot that we'll be sharing that will be helpful for them. Um, Mm. But just to remind them that they are the primary educators of their children and no one else has a right to be speaking to your child about these topics until Mm. you have and until you have decided what they can learn and know at a particular stage. So, Karen, that would be, I guess, just thinking in terms then of the idealised scenario, if we could control all of the factors in the world, and we know we can't, but in that idealised setting, what's the benchmark for which we should be referencing ourselves, recognising that we're not going to get all of that? So, obviously, age and maturity, you've sort of mentioned that as one aspect. What are some of the other things that we should be framing this kind of conversations or this formation process with our children look I think ideally having parents both parents if you have or each parent sort of having input into the child's life that you don't want it to be this one-off talk that happens you know it's a little random it comes out of the blue all this information is dumped on the child what we want to do is we want to be creating a culture in our family and we often talk about sporting and how a CEO of a sporting team wouldn't just go into the team and have a one-off talk. To get a team to excel and to do really well and to flourish in life, they're constantly having these touch points um, of conversation, of input. And so that's what we want to be doing with mm. our children is from the youngest age is, is just starting to talk about these things. I think that's so important. Yeah. One thing we always said to our children is there's nothing too embarrassing or off limits. We want us as parents to be the people you come to to get the accurate information. And I think 
there's a lot of toxic misinformation out there mm-hmm. on these topics. And so part of that is limiting their exposure, but it's also, like you said, we don't live in a perfect world and they will be exposed to this. We, we cannot stop that. So mm-hmm. it's also about equipping them that when they're exposed to it, what do they do? So coming to us, like we said, asking those clarifying questions and then having a conversation around some of the themes that have come up in whatever they may have been exposed to. Mm-hmm. Some of the okay. some of the other things I'd say is just getting resourced as parents so that you have skills, that you have tools to help you talk to your children. Um, always having that open communication is is very important as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. There's some great tips in there and I want to unpack some of those further, but we might just go to a quick break and then we'll be back. Stay with us. The Marriage Kit by Smart Loving is an online course for married couples wanting a lasting, passionate relationship. The course will allow you to grow in your understanding of each other and strengthen your bond with thought-provoking insights and practical skills. Research shows that relationship education can help you and your spouse improve your communication and conflict resolution skills, strengthening your relationship and reducing family breakdown. Gift certificates for the marriage kit are also available if you would like to purchase the course for a friend or family member and their spouse. Visit smartloving.org forward slash marriage kit. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about how to have the talk, that important conversation with your child about their developing sexuality. I'm joined by Karen Doyle from Choices Media, who is the author of Things Are Changing, one of Australia's most popular puberty education programs. But Karen, I feel like even the title of this conversation, the talk is misleading because one of your key points so far has been, it's not just one talk, we need to create a culture of ongoing conversation so that our children feel free to approach us with their questions, but also that we're having lots of talks right from a very early age, age appropriate, obviously, um, as they develop. Have I got that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I would just say that I think that the puberty talk, the facts of life talk, is what we call a gateway conversation. So it actually opens the door. At the moment, I'm doing a lot of puberty parent nights. A lot of the schools are hosting them and I'm delivering them via Zoom. And and I say this to the parents, this is just the start of many, many conversations and all the gateway conversations that need to happen. And it's a, a beautiful introduction. So I think Going back to one of the previous points that we made is just presenting it in a fun, lighthearted um, way that really encapsulates the beauty of, of this gift. But I would say that it's a gateway conversation of which there are many. And look, that's, a, a, again, just a nice link to what I wanted to talk about next, which is the particular Catholic perspective and how that might be different. A Catholic family might approach this topic differently to, say, other families where faith is different or perhaps absent altogether. But one of the things I like about what you're doing with these online-based parent nights is that the parent and the child are together attending in their home, which is such a more conducive environment than even gathering up at the school in a big sort of meeting in a hall or something where it's very cold and a winter's night. That that in itself to me is is such a, a great development and instructive. How are they going? What's the, oh, been the response to those? Been incredible. Like I mean, I'm a family life educator, registered nurse, so I was doing these before COVID, and then during COVID, obviously they wanted to keep up the 
growth and development unit through schools. So that's where they started. But we're two years on now and this is the preferred mode of delivery. Mm. So I'm just solidly booked between now and the end of the year, um, giving a couple of puberty nights every night sometimes four nights a week my daughter's thoroughly my youngest daughter who's 12 is thoroughly mortified she's realized what we do for a living (laughs) she's incredibly embarrassed she goes couldn't you get a less embarrassing job (laughs) but um, it's been really beautiful and the feedback from parents has been phenomenal and the schools are just so grateful because what we're doing is we're creating a space that is fun and engaging but it's deeply respectful of the parents as primary educators It's also giving them, I guess, the opportunity to have these conversations within the intimacy and the privacy of their Mm -hmm. own home because parents feel uncomfortable. Kids feel just so uncomfortable. They're not concentrating on the conversation in the school hall. Throughout the night, it's a 60-minute night, I give the parents and the children three different opportunities to have a conversation. I give them targeted questions and it just helps. Parents are really grateful because it takes the Mm -hmm. awkwardness out of it. Um, and then at the end of the nights, we actually give every family that's participated a parent pack, which includes the Things Are Changing video, a parent book and a child workbook that they can download and then keep. And there's a couple of MP3s that just really help parents and equip mm. parents to have the conversations. Because I really think so much of the time parents don't have the conversation, not because they don't want to, but they're lacking the confidence or the yeah. tools to help them. Yeah. And so I guess that's my heart and passion is to Mm. really equip and support parents and place them back in the centre of being primary Mm. educators of their child in this very important, sensitive area of development. I think it's brilliant. It's preferred to meeting in the hall, even if, I mean, it was, you went there because of necessity with the lockdowns, but it's quite clearly a superior model. And and we often think that doing things online is a second rate to being in person. Well, as we kind of say with our marriage programs, it's not necessarily second rate because the key relationship that they need to have is with their fiance or their spouse or in this case the parent and the child that's the relationship they're together in the room they don't need to be in a big hall being distracted by all their peers and other parents you want them actually just concentrating on their relationship and so in some ways it's it's a gathering online but it's not a group event it's an individual family event experience that's right yes and and I think the other thing is so much of the time parents are really triggered and nervous about what's being taught in the classroom and I've seen this during COVID in my own children's schools and then obviously the work we do with Catholic education officers around Australia is just that has this area of conversation development has been taken away from parents Mm. and placed in the school and yes there is meant to be a partnership between parents and school that's true and but the school always seeks to come in and serve the mission of the parents not the other way around Mm, and so mm. it's a very practical expression of that yeah it it really is and it's just so important um to Mm. be I guess for parents to reclaim their right because I, I do think that in our culture today families um parents are fundamentally that power balance is shifting and and the rights of parents are being taken away And I I really want to empower parents to reclaim their role, their God-given mandate, their God-given role as first educators of their children. Brilliant. So just turning then to, I guess, the Catholic perspective on sexuality, 
in some ways where the world is going with that is we're diverging more and more in terms of our value systems and our understanding and and interpretation of purpose and meaning. What are the key things that Catholic parents need to be aware of in this whole formation process? I'm not going to talk about the talk. It's going to be the formation yes. process with their children. What What's the key things that should be undermining their conversations? Absolutely. Well, just you said there just the formation, and I want to pick up on that word because that's mm. absolutely critical. Sometimes we talk about sex education, um, but the church is really big on the fact that what we're actually doing is giving children an education in love. And, and sex and, and sexual intimacy is just a part of that bigger conversation of this education in love. So I just want to say that to begin with. Then I'd love to say, Jonathan, my husband, has many great sayings. One of my favourite that he says is that the world, that the church has the best product in the world with the worst marketing department. <laughs> and I think it's, it's so true because in actual fact, the church has such a rich treasure trove of wisdom, insight, formation for the human person on how to live our life and, and how to find meaning and purpose Sometimes the church has fallen down in how to communicate that in a way that is attractive to people or in a way that people can grasp. And so mm -hmm. I'd like to preface it by saying there are some misconceptions about what the church teaches. And I would invite Catholic parents and all parents, even not of Catholic faith, to just start to explore some of those key themes um, and those invitations to reflect on what it means to speak of an education in love. But when we're sort of talking around this human sexuality within a Catholic perspective and, and how we educate children, there's four key principles that need to be the bedrock. I call them the foundations. And they have to be woven through at every stage of development. So when our children are younger, when they're sort of preteens, teens, you know, middle school, high school, college, university, there's different stages of development in which we gently introduce new concepts and themes, but these four principles need to always be the fundamental bedrock of that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'll give those to you very quickly. The first one that we need to communicate is that every single person is unique and unrepeatable. So every person has unique and immense value and worth simply because they've been created in God's image and likeness. The second one is that we say to young people that you are more than just your body. There's, we're not these random robots, this bodily sort of robot, but our body actually expresses who we are as a person and we are this beautiful unity of a body and a soul. And it's actually our soul that animates our body and our body expresses who we are. And so this is a really important principle that we break down for young people. The third one is that the body has a deeper meaning. Being human actually means we're created with this deep meaning and purpose. And so we look at what is the deeper meaning of the body. Even before we get to talking about sex, we, we want to talk about the meaning of the body. And then the fourth foundation is that the human person is created for connection with others. And, and when we're talking about the talk, and, and I guess we're focusing on upper primary conversation here, but we're talking about connection with others and I often say there's lots of different friendships we have in our life, but there's a very special friendship and, and that's the one of a husband and a wife in marriage and where they come together, I guess, and that love then and that connection they have gives birth to new life. And that's sort of how we frame all of this, that the body is good. 
um, the gift of sexuality is something beautiful and, and something to be cherished and it's a gift. And I think these are really important principles um, to be exploring and they're the bedrock. I think mm-hmm. the other one is just the goodness of who we are as people needs to be mm-hmm. communicated because, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, mm-hmm. sometimes children's exposure to sexualized images, messages comes through pornography, it comes through media and advertising, which is really presenting this one-dimensional view of the person that their body and it and their only their value lies in how thin, hot, or sexy their body is. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of our conversation always needs to be around the goodness of the body, that we have been created good. Our body and our sexuality is a gift given to us by God um, and that we receive that. So we can't really manipulate, distort or destroy the gift. We have to learn how to receive that gift and then how to use that gift accordingly. And and then mm-hmm. finally, just that there's a purpose, you know, in our bodies, that we're not random, that we have been designed with deep intentionality. And, and then obviously that sex is reserved for the sacrament of marriage. It's sort of the final expression of love that a couple mm-hmm. shares I feel like we could unpack each one of those and spend hours on each one but one of the things that's immediately coming to mind is that there is so much shame associated with sexuality Absolutely. and we've always differentiated and Karen maybe you could kind of rephrase this in a way that's more relatable to our audience we, we've always tried to differentiate in our work the difference between I guess shame and a guilt mm-hmm. that a guilt is we we think of of guilt as being a, a negative thing, but actually the guilt can be our the manifestation of our conscience, who which has this intuition about all of this beautiful thing about our dignity as human beings, about created for love and by love, and our guilt gets aroused when we make choices in our life that undermines or contradicts that high value. Shame, on the other hand is what causes us to, I guess, retreat from God and retreat from ourselves um, and has potentially very toxic and negative um, connotations. But we confuse, often I think people confuse the two. They think yes. that they're being they're being shamed and actually they're not. It's often it's their conscience saying, hey, you've got more. Do you want to unpack that or, or clarify that for our audience? I'm not sure if I've done a very good job of no, you're, explaining you're fine. the no, I think um, it's it's very important because I think when kids are exposed to, let's take pornography, for example, because mm-hmm. statistically the age of exposure is getting younger and younger. We know that 100% of children will be exposed, boys and girls, to pornography by the age of 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that the majority experience exposure somewhere between seven and nine years of age. So this mm-hmm. is before the years where we want as parents to be having the conversation of what sex is. Sometimes our kids have already seen that. Um, and, and I think, I hope I'm not digressing here, but sometimes children will come away. They know that there's something not right about that. They know that they feel a little bit bad in themselves about having seen it. And yeah. that sort of feeds into that cycle of shame. Mm-hmm. And, and what we like to say is guilt sometimes is the Holy Spirit prompting you about the rightness or the wrongness of an action. Mm-hmm. whereas shame is a feeling that we internalize that tells us we're bad that we're wrong that mm-hmm. it's not so much what we're doing but it's who we are as a person is wrong is bad I think that's a very dangerous attitude and something that we don't want our children to be internalizing mm-hmm. at a young age I think many mm-hmm. adults feel that and it's mm-hmm. so part of I guess 
the work of being a parent is also understanding what are our triggers? Where do we feel shame around these topics? And and asking for God's healing and restoration in those areas. Karen, that's amazing. I want to pick that up, but let's just take a quick break and we'll be back soon. Smart loving newlywed. If you are recently married, one of the most important things you can do for your marriage in its first year is to establish a habit of regular couple time. Smart Loving Newlywed is designed to help you do this. The content is drawn from Smart Loving's acclaimed relationship courses, which are used by thousands of couples. They explore timeless themes and are full of practical strategies. We want to help you establish simple lifestyle habits that will nourish your intimacy and protect your relationship from decay. Once a month, you will get an email in your inbox exploring the topic and detailing an activity for you to do as a couple. This includes some individual reflection questions, instructions for sharing together, and something to do during the week. Schedule a regular date night with your spouse where you can explore the topic together over dinner or a glass of wine. Visit smartloving.org forward slash newlywed to enroll today. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. I'm joined today by Karen Doyle from Choices Media, and we've been talking about uh, how to form our children effectively in their sexuality. It's now time to get a little bit more practical, but Karen, you made a comment earlier that I want to pick up on, which is the need for parents to really, I guess, reflect on their own experience growing up, processing any wounds, but also thinking about their own potential brokenness or areas of shame in themselves, which can predispose us as parents to being sort of overreactive and perhaps less than really helpful sometimes when difficult situations confront us in our children's formation. Do you want to pick that up and expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, sure. Look, I think it's actually really important because what we think really affects how we feel and then that shapes how we show up in our life and it drives the reactions that we get. So I think this is a really important thing for parents to reflect on because we need to just become a little bit intentional, a little bit more aware of what's going on in us when it comes time to having these conversations. I remember just through sisterhood, I've had a lot of exposure to women over the years whose husbands um, have had issues with pornography. And I remember one particular woman coming to me and she was so triggered around having the conversation with her son she literally was projecting all of this negative um, emotion about it being dirty and men being dirty. And it was really mm. unhealthy for her son because he'd not been exposed to pornography at all. And and her husband and her had worked that issue through, mm. but she there was this baggage that was hanging around and it was spilling over into her relationship with her son as he entered puberty. And she was very triggered every time he went on a computer. She was hypervigilant. And we just sort of worked through this process of really processing our own baggage. Mm-hmm. And that goes for anything, not just this conversation, but from everything in our life, right? As parents, yeah. we need to be really aware of how our own story, our family of origin is informing and forming how we're showing up as parents. Mm-hmm. And so I often mm-hmm. use this word intentional that. We need to just slow it down, become really intentional. What are the feelings we feel? Like are we getting sweaty palms when the school says it's time to have the puberty talk? And if that's the case, let's have a little bit of a think about what that is and where that's coming from. 
And then just, yeah, just being intentional about the language that we use. And so if we're joking around and, oh, this is so embarrassing, this is so embarrassing, well, is it? It's a really normal part of life. I don't think it's embarrassing. Yeah. Let's yep. be really careful about what language we're choosing because we frame our children's experiences with the language that we use. And then the, I guess the um, non-direct body language that we communicate. Mm. So mm. this, I, I like to use the language of puberty, growth and development. It's like an adventure. This is a really exciting mm. adventure. And when you don't know what to expect, then it can be scary. But this conversation's about giving you the information so you know what's ahead, so you can navigate the challenges and and go through this change. And it can be a really positive thing. Yeah. So I, I really like to challenge parents who say, oh, the teenage years, this is going to be terrible or we're in for a rocky ride. Well, are you? Just yeah. be really thoughtful and intentional about the language you frame mm. this, this sort of area with. But one of the things that's coming to mind as you're talking there, Karen, is that I always, I was a bit of a re rebellious teenager, but one of the things I rebelled against in my peers was this melodramatic um, fatalism around periods, menstrual periods, mm -hmm. and how inconvenient and terrible it was and all that sort of stuff. And, and I kind of rebelled against my peers on that. And I think in a good way, how that manifested when raising our own daughters, we've got two daughters, um, is that we took a really positive celebratory attitude. So when they yeah. got their first period, Byron would buy them flowers and he'd bring home the flowers. He'd organise to take mm. them out on a date. We'd celebrate it. We'd, we'd, we'd note it. We'd let people, the family know. It says, today's a wonderful day. Kiara is a woman. Um, and yes. it, it was perhaps a little bit of an overkill. Maybe we didn't need to go to quite that far. But it did communicate <laughs> to our girls and to the boys that, okay, this is not a terrible thing. This is part of growing up and it marks a really important transition uh, into a, a different stage of life. Uh, and that might be something, you know, for parents to just reflect on a little bit is what's your reaction? If you're a woman um, who has perhaps suffered with all sorts of um, physical symptoms around menstruation, what are you doing to process some of the emotional baggage around that so that you're not automatically transferring that onto your expectations of your own daughters? Because um, yes. I, I do wonder sometimes whether we, we almost can manifest difficulties that don't need to be there if we're too emotionally attached to them. Mm, absolutely. And I love what you said about Byron buying flowers. It's really the affirmation of the gift of womanhood or the gift of manhood mm. that's emerging. And, and I think the opposite gender plays a really critical role. And that's why I really encourage both parents to be having these conversations. Like I have mm. great conversations with my son about all these topics. And and I've always said to him and, and Jonathan to our two daughters that nothing's off limits. And all of us have really positive life-giving conversations here, which I think is mm. just so important. We, mm. we play such a, we can't underestimate the role that we play in, I guess, affirming and drawing out the goodness for the flourishing of, of their life and who they are as a person. So, Karen, if you were to give just a couple of really practical sort of take-home type tips for parents. So if this was the only thing that they remembered from this conversation, okay. <laughs> what would you, what do you want them to take away? I would say if you're not talking to your child, someone or something else is. Yep. So you have to be getting in that space. We, we say to parents, Jonathan's got a few talks online on this, that it's called taking the space. Like if you surrender ground, 
that 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 ground that you've stepped out of will be filled by other things and they're not things that you want for your children mm-hmm. so I would say to parents you know take back some space take back some power and start getting intentional and getting in the lives of your children we're so busy as parents it's really so the second thing I would say is in the busyness of life mm-hmm. don't surrender to technology to be your children's babysitter because yeah. it's just a gateway to untold damage in terms mm. of their sexuality. So even though it's hard, I would say get rid of the tech out of your home and start having that quality time and just some intentional time. I would also say if you have a son, these conversations are best had when he's moving, like going for a walk or yeah. playing with the football or that's or driving in a car. With, yep. with sons and boys, often it doesn't work if a mother sits down face-to-face. They do feel very awkward. So the boys tend to need a lot of movement. So do the girls sometimes. It's a generalisation, but that's been my experience. That's true, not just of boys, sometimes of men as well. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> a, one of our tips to couples is that sometimes you'll have your best conversations with your husband when you're walking. The women want to kind of have sit down and have an eye lock, um, but that's not the way a lot of men feel comfortable. No. They can feel well, quite intimidated by too much can. eye contact. St. Augustine said everything can be solved by walking. So <laughs> oh, there you go. So, Karen, when you say, um, you know, getting rid of the tech, my heart just kind of goes, oh, crunch here, yeah, I know. Really, really difficult. But that takes me straight back to the importance of community. A lot of this is so much easier when we have Absolutely. good community yeah. around us. Absolutely. It's so important. You can't raise your children in this culture on your own. So Mm. even if it doesn't exist right now, I would say look at where you can start to build some connections and some sense of community. Right from when my kids were very young, I was really intentional about surrounding Mm. our family with good families of Mm -hmm. faith and similar values I would really encourage certain friendships discourage others with my children uh, in a very subtle way but it just meant my kids ended up forming strong friendships with children who came from families similar sort of values and it's Mm -hmm. made a huge difference now as we're navigating adolescence and I think to your point about technology yes it's a it's a blanket statement to say get rid of the tech but it's like how do you do that I would say Maybe that's not the right wording. Maybe it's about managing technology in the home rather. So of an evening, I would be, I mean, we have a non-negotiable rule. doesn't matter how much homework, but all devices are done by about 6.30. No one goes back on devices after dinner time. Um, We are really intentional about putting them away, having filters on the internet, all that sort of stuff. Mm. And just trying to, I think there's a sacrificial element to our vocation as parents where we need to give up sometimes some of our free time to engage with our children so if we're saying get off the tech we kind of need to make sure they've got something else to do or that we're building some connections as well with them yeah 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 and that's I guess where it becomes personally a little bit difficult because oftentimes we let the kids go on the tech because we want to be able to go on our tech and we want to do it guilt-free and you can't very well be, pre- no. be prescribing or limiting their tech if we're got our heads down and I suppose you know one of the things that I'm learning is is that often when I'm say maybe get down the rabbit hole on an Instagram or something like that which I try not to even start because I know how vulnerable I am is to just step back and ask the question what need is really trying to be satisfied here can I bring that to the Lord 
And mm. I guess that would be the other thing is it's just the incredible and a crucial role of prayer and a, and a, and an active uh, relationship with the Lord as parents trying to do this without the Lord's support and input, um, I think is well nigh impossible in our present yeah. world. It absolutely is. And I think when Jonathan and I were discerning marriage, um, our spiritual director said to us, your marriage will only be as strong as your individual prayer lives. And so over mm -hmm. 22 years, we have both fought for each other every day, especially when the kids were little, to go to adoration or to have that time for prayer. And that has mm -hmm. been so true. And I, I would say that's equally as true of parenting. Yeah. that our parenting will only be as strong as our relationship with the Lord. There's such an element of surrender. Oh, my goodness. Just, yeah. You know, that the amount of surrender that we have to do as parents. They say that marriage is the vocation. I understand that it is. But I think, no, no, parenting is truly the vocation because that's you can still be selfish in marriage, but parenting, wow. Yeah, there's no space for selfishness. You, no, and it causes you to such surrender. So, I think really just doubling down on prayer is so important in a spiritual life. And I would say, especially to mothers too in this area, of just making sure that your cup is full because yes. we can't give what we don't possess. And the same for fathers. Like if your cup is empty, you're giving from an empty well, that's when you get resentful and you're irritated mm. with your children. But somehow carving out each day some moments just to fill your cup so that mm. you have something to give. So you're showing up as your best and highest self for your children. We only mm. get one shot at this parenting gig. So we want to make sure we've done everything yeah. within our power to be leaders in our home, leaders in our own life, leaders in our marriage, to, I guess, give our children a, a story and something to be inspired towards. Mm. There's great wisdom there, Karen. How do our listeners get um, where's the best place for them to go to get access to some of the resources that you've got available? Yeah, sure. So, look, we have a website, www.choices.com.au, and it's spelled C-H-O-I-C-E-Z.com.au. So we actually are the largest provider in Australia of faith, values-based sexuality, um, respectful relationships, resources. So a lot of our resources are in Catholic schools, but we do have a parent portal uh, we do have a resource for parents around having this conversation and tackling the tough okay. topics. So people can also email me at kd at choicez.com.au. Okay, and we'll put all those links in the show notes for those who are looking for them. Um, look, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we'll do our Smart Loving Q&A and our wrap-up. We'll talk to you soon. It is easy to get discouraged when there is disconnection in our marriage. Arguments over petty incidents, too busy to romance each other, crowded with other responsibilities. All marriages go through periods where we need a breakthrough in our relationship. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course will teach you how arguments happen, how to manage them better or avoid them altogether. Understand your internal drivers and how your spouse is triggering you. Process the pain of past injuries, making you stronger and less reactive. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough. The Smart Loving Breakthrough course can be done by a couple or by an individual who is in a marriage that is in distress. Visit smartloving.org forward slash breakthrough to enroll today. Gift certificates are also available should you want to purchase the course for a friend or family member.
Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for our Smart Loving Q&A. We get questions um, every day from wives, husbands, and couples from around the globe. And I'm delighted to have my sister in Christ and colleague, Karen Doyle, with me today to help answer this question. So this is a question from a wife, and she says, we've been married for 11 years. We have three young children, both working full time, but on opposite shifts. He has the kids three nights a week when I'm at work and he gets very stressed about work, money and life and having the kids by himself. And they are a lot. I try to get them organised. And when I tell him I'm stressed and overwhelmed, he says, what do you have to be stressed about? He wishes he could have in my life and not worry about everything. I worry all the time when I try to help with the bills. He shuts down. Our love life is not great either. So I have so much on my mind that I'm often not in the mood. He said he feels alone and I feel alone too. He won't go to counselling and I know he truly loves me and the kids, but sometimes I feel that he wishes he had a different path for himself. It's really heartbreaking some days. So Karen, um, here's, a, here's a wife um, that's really suffering in her marriage and um, with all, all of the stress that's part of, I guess, in some ways, part of every marriage at some stage. What would you, where would you start? What, what could you offer encouragement or advice to this wife? Look, I would just like to acknowledge the fact that marriage is hard, right? It's hard sometimes and everybody has these difficult seasons that we go through. And and firstly, I'd just like to say just that empathy and acknowledgement of mm. how difficult that situation is that she finds herself in because it mm. is hard. It's very hard when your partner, your spouse is not coming to the table with that receptivity mm. to growth or to receive what you're saying as well. Um, I think that that is very difficult. Um, I would say that, you know, in marriage that there are so many seasons. I remember, Fran, when I first met you, you used to use that analogy of marriage being like water skiing, that sometimes you just have to hold on and put your head down for dear life, but know that you will come through that season. I, I do think that we are in a culture that doesn't value marriage, that sort of mm. says if you're not happy or if he's not meeting my needs or she's not meeting my needs, then, you know, that's an indication that perhaps you exit that marriage. And I would say that over the years, and, and you would know this more than me, Fran, that often couples that navigate and, and endure those difficult seasons come through and can have a deeper, more fulfilling relationship on the other side of that difficult season but yeah. what I think is needed, there's two things that are needed to get through that season. The first is that there's a receptivity to growth in both people. So it doesn't yeah. mean that you won't say hurtful things or that you don't feel yeah. the way this couple is feeling, but deep down that there's a receptivity to growth. And what I mean by that is it, each person takes responsibility for what they're bringing to the table in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like in any marriage breakdown, it's never one-sided. No, Even no. in a relationship where a spouse has an affair, it is never one-sided. There's a whole, there's a chain reaction of things that have taken place. So yeah. that's the first thing I'd say. Um, the second thing I'd say is that so many couples, I think, lack the skills that are needed to navigate these yeah. tricky seasons of marriage. Like we prepare for the wedding day, and, and I know you yeah. have got the most outstanding marriage preparation course. We're actually a mentor couple using your program, and every week I'm like, God this is so you. good. <laughs> Best in the world, I would say. It's fantastic. But it, it, so many couples lack the skills, and they lack people who they can tap into when they hit that difficult yeah. season. Yeah, and I mean, often it's not they don't go looking for it until they're in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And That's part right. of part of the same sort of message that we've been talking about earlier, but being a little bit 
prophetic, anticipating what might happen down the track and seeking out the skills before it's a crisis because it's a lot easier yeah. sometimes to learn those skills when you're both in a good place. It's less threatening, yeah. it's less less at risk. I guess I would also add that um, the expression of loneliness in here has really struck me and um, yes. pulls at my heart. And we don't think of marriage as being a lonely place. We think that when we get married, that this person is going to cure us of our loneliness for the rest of our lives. Mm -hmm. And we've got this sort of vision of a beautiful sunset romance. And it rarely works out that way. And we can tend to think of that as a, symbol, a sign of failure, that if we're feeling lonely in our marriage, that that's a sign of failure. And I guess I would say to use those times when we're feeling distressed in our marriage to lean into our faith and to see suffering as growth opportunities, that this is in some ways sometimes a gift from the Lord to call us into something more yeah. because we're not, we're not necessarily very good at proactively seeking holiness. So sometimes we need to be driven to our knees I know. <laughs> in order to, to learn how we need the Lord. And if we're not going to voluntarily learn that lesson, sometimes the Lord will let things happen in our life so that we can come to that reality. Um, yes. And I guess the only other thing I was offered to this dear, dear wife, this sister in Christ, is that don't be limited in thinking that the only way you can move forward in your marriage is by getting your husband to change or getting your husband to come to some kind of counselling. There's lots of things that we as individuals can do to make our situation in a difficult marriage better. And that comes down to getting the right support, um, having the openness to growth, as you mentioned, um, and and perhaps seeking out some professional help if needed to to learn the skills and to take some concrete steps. So it's never it's never a, a fixed situation that can't be helped in some way. It might not get fully resolved, but we can always make it a little bit better if we we set mm -hmm. our hearts on it and we we get the support. Yes, and just on that, Fran, I think mindset is really important, being mm. aware of the thoughts that you think because if you think he always or she always or they never and then that starts to – that's a thought which then yeah. fuels a feeling of resentment which yeah. then that transpires to your actions being unloving or disrespectful. And so I think there is so mm. much – I've just become such a big believer in this of – being renewed by the transformation of your mind and, and I do a lot of Catholic mindset coaching around this for mm. people but I, I have seen these breakthroughs and situations that have been totally headed for the trash bin yeah. turned totally wow. reverse because of um, a change in mindset and so two final thoughts I have is picking up on what you said that you can't change the other person but you can take responsibility and change yourself yeah. And that can have an impact. It does have an impact on others. And the final thing is that sometimes there is an invitation there to see the obstacles not as an irritation but as an invitation. Yeah. And remembering, I think in our culture we just, even as Catholics, our perspective on what marriage is and why I'm in it and what I should get from it can become very self-entitled. And not mm. that that is the case in this situation, but we have to be on guard for that. And yeah. we have to really ask the Lord to help us elevate our gaze to heaven. What is the purpose of our marriage? The purpose of our marriage is our sanctification and our holiness. And he will often use the crosses. He always uses the crosses in our life to sanctify us and bring us to the fullness of life. Yeah. So, Yeah, wow. Thank you. So um, 
if you've got questions for us listeners, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or you can visit smartloving.org slash conversations and there is a, a contact form there or you can email us. All those contact details are on the website. Before we sign off, we want to share a blessing with you. So, Karen, my blessing this week is from Father Delindo Rotoldo. I'd never heard of him. I'm not sure how I came across him recently, but I've been playing, praying his novena. He died in 1970, so he's a recent um, phenomenon. He's not sainted or blessed. He's just father. He's an Italian um, stigmata and miracle worker, and yeah. he's had these intense conversations with, Jesus. And there's a beautiful novena that's really about a surrender. And his key line is, oh, Jesus, I surrender myself to you. Take care of everything. And I've just been so convicted. And so I'm encouraged by it. So Karen, what about you? Well, I think mine this week, I've been reminded of my favorite scripture, which is Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in everything you do, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And that scripture was given to me when I was in grade seven, when I had to have spinal surgery for scoliosis. And it was the night before my surgery and I was scared. And it came to me in the form of my confirmation devotion that I opened. And it has been the signature scripture over my entire life. And I think when we're talking about parenting, we're talking about raising our kids it's such a good scripture. Just trust in the Lord with all your heart and, mm. and just trust that he's doing something. We have to play our part. Yeah, yeah. I'm always really impressed when people not only remember the words of the scripture, but also the reference of where to find it. I, I find <laughs> I'm doing well if I can just recite the words, but I can almost <laughs> never tell you where to find it. So I, oh, I it's only it. because it's my life scripture. So, yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Karen, thank you so much for your time today. It's been just a delight to chat with you and to harness your wisdom for our listeners. Um, I feel like there is so much more we could be exploring. So maybe we'll get you back again in a year or two's time to explore a different topic. Love to dive into actually your work that you're doing with women. That's to me would be a really fruitful conversation for us to have. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Fran. It's always such a blessing. And I just love the work that you and Byron do. It's been such an important ministry in Australia and beyond. So thank you. God bless you. So that brings us to the end of our time together. Listeners, you can find more information, including links to our blessings, our show notes and more at smartloving.org slash conversation. I'm Francine Parola from Smart Loving with special thanks to my guest, Karen Doyle. We pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up and all your intentions to our patron saints, Our Lady Undoer of Knots. Pray for us. St. John Paul II. Pray for us. And let's add Father Delindo Ruotolo. Pray for us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye.